God bless. Good to see everybody. If you would, would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Now, as I've said before, let me say it again, unless a meteor falls from outer space and smashes this building into a million pieces, we will finish <laughs> chapter 18 tonight. But I'm not making any promises, so we'll see. But um, let me say it one last time. In our study in Revelation, we are currently studying chapter 18, where God is judging and destroying commercial Babylon. Chapter 17 dealt with uh, religious Babylon. Chapter 18 with commercial Babylon. Um, commercial Babylon is going to be the capital of the world during the reign of the Antichrist. Now, before we begin tonight, uh, finishing chapter 18, I want to call your attention to something that was recently in the news. Maybe you read the article or saw a report on TV or maybe somebody um, texted or emailed you a video that you watched. The report was about a, a Google engineer that was working in Google's AI division. If you don't know what AI means, it stands for artificial intelligence. The uh, Google engineer's name is Blake Lamont. Mr. Lamone recently made a pretty shocking claim. A claim, in fact, that was so shocking, it got him put on administrative leave from his job as a Google engineer. You ask, well, what did Lamone do that uh, was so shocking enough to get him suspended from his job? Well, Mr. Lamone claimed that the AI chatbot generator, just a computer that talks to you, okay, a computer known as Lambda. Lambda is short for Language Model for Dialogue Applications. Lambda. Well, Mr. Lamone claimed that Lambda, a computer, had become sentient. Sentient. Now, if you're a sci-fi fan, you'll immediately remember the 1984 movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger called The Terminator. The premise of that movie was that a supercomputer was developed by a corporation who was working on AI technology, and they created this supercomputer and uh, began to feed it all kinds of information. The thing plugged itself into every data bank it could find and uh, began to download so much information that at one point it became self-aware. In other words, it, it had come alive by achieving consciousness, or, to use Mr. Lamone's term, had become a sentient being. This computer then decided it no longer needed its creators, quote-unquote, human beings, and so it decided it was going to be a creator. He was now going to be the creator, and so it created for itself an artificial intelligence system known as Skynet. You sci-fi buffs know exactly what I'm talking about. It developed this artificial intelligence system known as Sky, Skynet to launch a nuclear holocaust to wipe out the human race. Well, of course, a resistance movement led by a man named John Connor arose and began to fight the advancements of Skynet and the, this computer and all. 
And uh, so Skynet then created a supercomputer slash robot called the Terminator. And the idea was the Terminator would travel back in time to kill a young John Connor before he could grow up and leave the resistance. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, why in the world are you telling us all this? I mean, what possible bearing could a 38-year-old sci-fi movie have on our study in Revelation? Well, when we studied Revelation 13, we saw how that the false prophet at, at the midpoint of the tribulation period places an image of the Antichrist, an image that could be some kind of a computer slash robot, puts this image, or is going to put this image uh, of the Antichrist into the Holy of Holies um, of the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and then causes the image to come alive, to become sentient. Now, this isn't going to be a cheap sleight of hands kind of a thing. It's not going to be a real just slick advancement in technology. Uh, by this point in the history of the world, we're pretty used to technology. And technology is very advanced uh, in our day. It's going to become even more advanced when the Antichrist shows up. Uh, but it's not so advanced that people can't tell a sophisticated robot from a sentient being. This is going to be uh, a, an image, and I don't know what the image is. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be some kind of a computer robot. I don't know. Could be. But the uh, false prophet and the Antichrist are going to have the power to bring this thing alive, to, uh, to, to make it sentient, to give it life. One of the things, um, and this is what caught my eye with this report, uh, we're getting close, okay, to the Lord's return. Things are falling into place for what we have been studying in Revelation for a number of months now, okay? And uh, one of the things that Blake Lamone's claim has done, his claim, again, that a computer has achieved consciousness, one of the things his claim has done was that it sparked a whole debate on what consciousness is or what it means to be sentient in the first place. Now, let me stop and say this, and, and, and people probably will disagree with me, I'm probably not any of you, but you know, people that would hear me say this would, no doubt, some people disagree with me. I'm going to tell you what I believe. Let me stop and say this. It doesn't matter how much information is fed into a computer. It will never cause a machine to develop consciousness. It's not going to happen. A machine will never become alive, at least not according to the current understanding of what it means to be alive. The missing component, the thing that makes human beings and even animals alive, is the soul. And the soul only comes from God. The soul is what gives the body life, not the amount of information placed in the brain. Guys, the soul is the consciousness of any living creature. In some ways, if you think about it, the body is like a machine. Say, how so? Well, think of it this way. The physical body is the hardware, just like the physical, a physical computer is the hardware. What makes um, the human body alive is the soul, which is like the software in a computer that allows it to function or to come alive, quote-unquote, uh, if you will. 
Uh, for there to be physical life, the body and soul have to both be present, just like a computer, uh, just like computer hardware and software have to work together to for a computer to, to function. Both are necessary. The same is true with human life or with life in general. Okay. Um, the Bible defines physical life, excuse me, the Bible defines physical death, I should say, as when the soul or the consciousness leaves the body, which is determined that the consciousness has in fact left the body, is determined when all vital bodily functions cease, especially brainwave activity. Today, medical science can keep hearts pumping and lungs moving and in air coming in and out, but it can't affect brain waves. So that is the ultimate test of when a, a person's soul or consciousness has left their body. Brain wave activity ceases. I remember a quote by a secular philosopher some time ago who was talking about this very subject and made this statement. He said, and I'm quoting, the human body is a machine that is being operated by a ghost, end quote. That is a secular man's assessment of what God said in his word about physical existence. But instead of saying that the human body is being controlled by a ghost, God said it's being controlled by the soul, by the soul. It is the soul in man and animal that makes a creature sentient. And the soul is a creation of God Almighty and only of God Almighty which he gives to all living things at the moment of conception. That is my personal belief. And especially when we're talking about human beings, that consciousness is imparted at the moment the egg is fertilized, at the moment of conception. And as the body develops, so does the awareness. But God Almighty is the only one that can impart into a some a creature he's designed to be living yes man of course animals um, only god can impart a soul because only god can create life first uh, excuse me john 1 verse 4 only god can create a soul because only god is the source of all life in him is life the idea that man has created life by making machines so powerful and programming them with so much information that they become alive is the very thing that man has wanted since the Garden of Eden, to become God, to become God. And since life can only be created by God, this idea that man has created life <laughs> by causing supercomputers to become sentient uh, causes some to say, doesn't that prove that mankind has evolved into godhood see we're moving in this direction um hold on to that thought i don't want to jump my my notes here because i want to keep it in a way that it's linear so you can understand okay um i will say this the antichrist is coming now we know at one point he is going to outlaw all religions and establish a new religion where he is worshiped as god but I do believe there is another component to that. I believe he's going to have a gospel. 
And his gospel is what is going to cause millions upon millions upon millions of people to follow him. What is that gospel? I believe that even as he has proven that he has ascended to godhood, he has the ability to impart life, just like him and the false prophet are going to impart life to an image, something that was not alive, but is going to become alive through whatever means they have discovered, you know, and are utilizing. And what I believe the gospel of the Antichrist in part is going to be, worship me and I will impart to you the same life I imparted to this image, only it will never end. You will go on for, for eternity with this life, eternal life, right? Who doesn't want eternal life? We know it only comes from God. Jesus gave it to us at the moment we got saved. But I believe that millions of, and billions of people really, are going to follow the Antichrist of their own free will. Because they're going to be taught that, be, that not only is he God, he can create them to be a race of gods. Like man has always wanted to be God, right? Many computer scientists have mocked Blake Lamone's contention that Lambda has become a person. <laughs> I thought this was, I didn't even think about this or even hear about it until I was reading up on this. Uh, Blake Lamone not only contends that Lambda has become a living being, he's, now he's claiming that that living being should have rights. And even though Google created it, now that it is a sentient being, by keeping it under Google, you know, lock and, you know, now they're involved in slavery. Got to set these sentient computers free. It's a crazy time, folks. Crazy time. One article I read said this, and I quote, Most experts believe it's unlikely that Lambda or any other AI is close to consciousness though they don't rule out the possibility that technology could get there in the future. Computer scientists describe Lambda as operating like a smartphone's autocomplete function, albeit on a far grander scale. Like other large uh, language models, Lambda was trained on massive amounts of text data to spot patterns and predict what might come next in a sequence, such as in a conversation with a human. If your phone auto-completes a text, you don't suddenly think that it's aware of itself uh, and, and, and what it means to be alive. You just think, well, that was exactly the word I was thinking of, said Carl Zimmer, science columnist uh, for the New York uh, Times and author of Life's Edge, The Search for What It Means to Be Alive, end quote. So let me just say one last time, the idea that if man can build a if mankind can just build a computer powerful enough and load it with enough information that it can become a sentient being is ridiculous. But that doesn't mean that a demon can't inhabit that computer to give it life so that mankind is deceived into thinking. He has, in fact, created life Man can create things just like God can create if he's even up there, right? And because this God created us, or so some believe, a lot of them are atheists, obviously, but we've just proven it doesn't take supernatural power 
to become God. Just have to have enough information. Science has brought us to that realization of our own divinity because we are now imparting life into the things we have made, i.e. very sophisticated, powerful computers. I believe that the world is being set up. I believe that we are seeing, well, not the beginning. It's been going on for a long time. Paul said the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Satan has been laying the groundwork for a specific moment in human history, the culmination of all things, for a very long time. I believe ever since the Garden of Eden, when he introduced into the human race the lie. What is the lie? That man can become God. It's a lie of Hinduism, lie of the New Age movement. The man can become God. Eve, don't worry about eating the fruit of that forbidden tree. God knows in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be enlightened, your eyes will be opened, and you'll become like God. And I believe that was the beginning. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, there is something called pro, I'm going to mispronounce it, uh, it's Latin, pro evangelium. What does that mean? The first glimpse of the gospel, Genesis 3.15. And just as the gospel, our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that someday from the seed of the woman, a Messiah, a Savior would come. Women don't have seed. The man has the seed. Uh, rabbis have, have believed for many centuries that that was a little reference to the virgin birth. Well, rabbis, Christian theologians, okay? Christian theologians um, have believed for many, many centuries that that was a God's first glimpse of the gospel. Well, is God put in the garden the first glimpse of the gospel, the true gospel, Satan fed into the human race the first glimpse of a false gospel. And that is that man can become God. It's amazing what we're seeing going on around us. And um, I, I just believe the, the groundwork is being set. And um, again, when the Antichrist comes with his new religion where he is God, he is going to um, preach the ultimate lie which has been percolating and growing and introducing into the human race in its embryonic state has been growing for 6,000 years and is about ready to be unveiled in its full form that man can become God. The idea that mankind is already on the road to Godhood and, and this idea that man is imparting life to, you know, to, to things that are not living, like a computer. What does that do? But it weakens a person's faith in the true God. Um, the God of the Bible is not special. Uh, he just knows a lot of information, and now we've, we're catching up. And just as God, and that's what Christian science is all about. What is Christian science? The idea that Jesus Christ was not a supernatural being, God incarnate, uh, that Jesus Christ was a scientist. And he really wasn't doing miracles. He just understood the basic laws of nature uh, far more than any other person in his time. And he could manipulate those laws of nature, natural laws, to make it appear like he was doing miracles. The common illustration they give is, uh, look, if uh, you could take a person that lived 200 years ago 
and somehow transport them in time to the present day and stood them by an airport so they watched these gigantic metal flying birds lifting off the ground, they would think that's a miracle. But no, it's just the laws of aerodynamics that we have come to understand. So things are moving very quickly towards the return of Jesus Christ. The groundwork is being laid. And every day you watch the news or you read a paper online, um, you know, uh, you know, you're seeing pieces of the puzzle fit into place, right? All right. So back to our Revelation study, we are looking at chapter 18, where God is judging and destroying commercial Babylon. And as I just said a moment ago, uh, commercial Babylon is going to be the commercial capital of the world during the reign of the Antichrist. As we have already talked about, many people believe that. Uh, that the Babylon of Revelation 18 will be will literally be the ancient city of Babylon rebuilt on the Euphrates River in modern Iraq. Others, well, they believe that it's going to be some other major city of the world, New York, London, Paris, Brussels, uh, whatever, uh, that is being uh, metaphorically referred to as Babylon. But again, whatever the city and wherever it is located, it will be the capital of the political power and commercial wealth of the beast the antichrist and his kingdom during the tribulation period let's go ahead and finish chapter 18 starting with verse 20 all right let's read it and we'll go back so so god has been destroying now uh this this system this city but it's system that uh, it is the capital of rejoice over her O heaven and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants, I like this, your merchants were the great men of the earth. Your merchants were the great men of the earth. Folks, in my mind, it's talking about the CEOs of the largest companies on planet Earth. The CEOs of Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Walmart, Microsoft, just to name a few. We know that there are a group of super elites, many of them connected to these giant uh, corporations, global corporations. And they are working very hard to change the world through the Great Reset, by getting rid of the middle class. Corporations don't want women to have children because women will love their children more than their companies that they work for, and you can't have that. So that's why they're willing to pay. Maybe you've seen some of these giant corporations that have gone on record saying, if you need an abortion and your state has outlawed it, we will spend up to $4,000 to fly you to a state that will perform the abortion and, uh, and put you up until it's finished and bring you back home. 
Why would they spend $4,000 per employee? Because it's a lot more expensive to pay for a woman who has just had a baby for their maternity leave, add another person onto the company, health care policy. It's a lot easier to encourage them to terminate the children because that way their loyalty is to a soulless conglomerate or company, and that becomes their God. That becomes their whole focus. They live for the company. It's wicked, it's grotesque, but it's all around us. And it's setting the stage for the ultimate final scenario where the Antichrist is going to come and so on. But that's what we're looking at, right? So, again, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets. This is Babylon now, commercial Babylon. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. The word sorcery in verse 23 is the Greek word pharmakia. Pharmakia is the word that is uh, the word that the English words pharmacy and pharmaceuticals comes from. It has been pointed out, I'm sure you've heard this, that uh, this is a word that describes conscious altering hallucination-inducing drugs like LSD and peyote, just to name a couple. This word, pharmakia, is used in the New Testament often in association with magic and occult practices. You can see that in Revelation 9, verse 21, Galatians 5, verse 20. Why is it associated, this word, if it means pharmaceuticals, why is it associated with occultism, magic, and so on in the New Testament? Because those pagan practices incorporated the use of hallucinogenic drugs, which would allow people to reach an altered state of consciousness so that they could come in contact with the spirit realm and ultimately with spirit guides and spirit gods and goddesses. Demons masquerading as white masters, ascended masters, spirit guides, gods and goddesses. That's all it is. It's deception. It's important to understand, guys, that Babylon's hold on the world will not be entirely due to her military and economic power, but also will be due uh, to her occult influence. Again, verse 23, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Now, I want to, uh, to connect this thought, this verse, with 2 Thessalonians 2. Why don't you turn there? Because I believe they go hand in hand. Whatever Babylon, commercial Babylon is, and it's not just a, a corporation, of course. It's a system. It's a system that is in control of all. It's, it's like a, uh, well... Again, like the movie Terminator, uh, Skynet was involved uh, in, in control uh, of of pretty much everything on the earth at one point. God is the one who was ultimately in control, but the world is moving fast. It's interesting that years ago, when I first got saved, the general idea was that we are we are evolving. We're moving from a spiritual mindset, God, and so on to a more intellectual mindset because we're growing in our 
information technologies increasing medicine we're becoming smarter and smarter and they used to say back in the 80s that the the more advanced the human race got the more uh the more intelligent uh the less it would be clinging to you know superstitious religion god and the more man would evolve into a very secular but very intelligent being that has not happened the bible says that just the opposite the closer we get to jesus return the more spiritual mankind is going to become but not spiritual in a good sense demonic spirits worldwide demonic deception and this is going to be propagated primarily to the antichrist and again second thessalonians 2 verses 9 to 11 the coming of the lawless one, a title for the Antichrist, is, is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Those are all Greek words that, re that relate to real miracles. Working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe. Again, here it is, the lie. The lie. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, Romans 1.25, both talks about the lie. The world is full of many lies. We've talked about this. But there is one lie that is the mother of all lies, spiritually speaking. And that lie got introduced into the Garden of Eden. It's been growing and spreading it is about to reach its fruition under the Antichrist who will preach a gospel that says that you don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need what these Christians have. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're sick. They're twisted. They're, uh, they're lying to you. Uh, I have the truth. And so many will follow the Antichrist of their own free will. Because he has deceived them through his miracles. Remember what God said in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet arises and he does miracles, but he preaches to you contrary to my word, he lies. But he's got supernatural powers. Do not listen to him. In fact, stone him because he is deceiving you. He is of the devil, basically. Well, this guy is going to be of the devil like Nobody else has been except the devil himself, right? Um, but again, verse 23 of, of Revelation 18, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery, and who's going to be in control of the whole Babylonian system during the tribulation period? The Antichrist. And they're going to use sorcery, him and his followers, to trick many. But it's going to lead to their ultimate destruction. Because they believe the lie. They didn't want the truth. God didn't, Satan can't force lies on people. They have to willingly open up their minds to lies. They did not want the love of the truth, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. They rejected the truth. That allowed the devil, that God says, if you don't want the truth, then it allowed, God says, then find you will uh, the devil can lie to you all he wants if you reject my truth which would have kept you you know if you continue in my word jesus said in my truth 
uh, you know, you shall be set free from the devil's lies. The truth will set you free, right? Now, listen, I just told you a, a minute ago. Um, let me go back and reread verses 20 and then 24 out of chapter 18. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Verses 20 and 24, guys, tell me that Babylon can't be referring to New York or London or Brussels or Paris. Why not? When did apostles and prophets die, as verse 20 alludes to? When did apostles and prophets die in New York or London or any other modern city in the world? Now, in response to this, others will say, yes, but when did apostles and prophets die in Babylon and Iraq? And because of this, many say that this cannot refer to rebuilt Babylon in modern Iraq since no apostles or prophets were ever killed there. But listen, you, we need to think of Babylon not just as a literal city, but also as the stronghold of Satan on the earth throughout history, wherever the place that stronghold was occupying at any given moment in history. It's moved around, is my point. Of course, the whole Babylonian system started with the Tower of Babel. And we've talked about this. I'm not going to belabor it. It started off at the Tower of Babel. Babel later became Babylon. The whole system, this false religious system that was a combination of spirituality and uh, commerce, got its start in the Tower of Babel. Again, that became Babylon. The whole system then moved to Pergamos when Babylon fell in 539 B.C. As Jesus alluded to when he said to the church in Pergamos uh, in Revelation 2, verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's throne is. After Rome became the world's superpower, the whole Babylonian, Babylonian system, priests and all, moved to Rome following the power and money in 378 A.D. And I believe when Rome is destroyed near the end of the first half of the 70th week of Daniel, or the first end of the first half of the tribulation period, the whole system is going to move once again to what we'll call New Babylon in Iraq, rebuilt Babylon. Over the centuries, these places that have been the headquarters for this evil system have been responsible for the killing of literally millions upon millions of God's people under the evil Babylonian system. The first century Roman, uh, Roman Empire there, um, the whole thing headquartered in Rome. First century Rome killed thousands and thousands of Christians apostles, prophets, and many other followers of Jesus Christ. That's just the first century. This has been going on for many centuries. Now listen, I think it's possible that Rome starts out as the capital of, of the one world government during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. But during the last half of the tribulation period, I believe that the capital will be moved to New Babylon, Again, I believe in Iraq, rebuilt. 
after the world church is destroyed by the Antichrist. Now you say to yourself, are you sure that Babylon in Iraq is going to be rebuilt? No, I'm not sure. I do believe it's a very strong possibility. Why do I say that? Why do I feel that way? Because many of the prophecies in the Bible regarding Babylon uh, seem to be talking about uh, Babylon, talking about the Babylon that's going to be destroyed in the last day. Remember now, uh, ecclesiastical Babylon is destroyed uh, around the midpoint of the last seven years. Commercial Babylon is destroyed at the end of the tribulation period, just prior to Jesus' return. And there are many prophecies about Babylon being around to, to incur this ultimate judgment of God that we're reading about in Revelation 18. All kinds of places in the Old Testament talk about the destruction of Babylon in terms that have never been fulfilled up until this present time. Now, Babylon, is modern Iraq, is around right now, but the city of Babylon is not built. Saddam Hussein, who fancied himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar, started rebuilding it. You can probably even go online through Google Earth and you could see what he got done. From what I understand, that's a prime location for being um, the hub of a world commercial center. But again, many of the prophecies in the Bible seem to be talking about Babylon in modern Iraq, which would eventually then be destroyed. Let me read to you out of Zechariah 5, verses 5 to 11. You can turn there, but I'm going to read it to you out of the NLT, New Living Translation, so it might just be better to listen and look it up later, but you can turn to it if you want. Notice the language, Zechariah 5, verses 5 to 11. Then the angel who was talking with me came forward and said, Look up and see what's coming. What is it, I asked. He replied, it is a basket for measuring grain. Now, the Hebrew, interestingly, um, uses a word that King James translates ephah. All right? New King James basket. Other translations may choose one of those two. But this Hebrew word, interesting, is the standard volumetric measure for commerce in that day. So what's in view here is a commercial thing. All right? It is a basket for measuring grain, and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Then the heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket, and there was a woman sitting inside it. The angel said, The woman's name is Wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. Could this woman be a reference to the woman of Revelation 17? Could be. I think it probably is. All right. Verse 9, then I looked up and saw two women flying toward us, uh, gliding on the wind. They had wings like a stork, and they picked up the basket and flew into the sky. Where are they taking the basket, I asked the angel. He replied, to the land of Babylon. Now, the New King James and I think other translations say, to the land of Shinar. Hold on to that. The NLT says that where, you know, they're, uh, they're taking the basket to the land of Babylonia, where they will build a temple for the basket. And when the temple is ready, they will set the basket there on its pedestal. One commentator interprets this by saying, and I quote, When the time comes, it will be marked by commerce 
the basket slash ephah. False religion, the woman. Speedy accomplishment, the wings of the stork. And a demon spirit in their wings, end quote. All of this, this basket, is transported, as I said, to the land of Shinar, as the New King James translates it. Shinar, guys, is a name for modern-day Iraq, and in particular, Babylon. You have to understand, Babylon was the city, and Shinar was the plain upon which the city was built. Also, in the book of Deuteronomy, a stork was an unclean bird. So there's an atmosphere of, I don't know, sinisterness in this vision. This could be telling us that the city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt on the banks of the Euphrates in Iraq for its final judgment. Remember now, the basket was taken to the land of Shinar, and it contains wickedness. And, and a woman that we believe could correspond to the woman of Revelation 17, and the wickedness, of course, could correspond not only to the false religious system that we studied in chapter 17, but also a commercial system that's very wicked and that God's going to eventually judge. Uh, but the whole thing is going to Babylon, real Babylon in modern-day Iraq, which, interesting, is the Holy Spirit teaching us through prophecy that the whole system is going to be eventually moved to modern Iraq, to a place to rebuild Babylon, all right? Um, and all this will take place before the final judgment that we've been studying in chapter 18 of Revelation, right? Um, it, it just could be that the city of Babylon is going to re be rebuilt so God can destroy it, okay? And just like the Lord, to let man have his little monuments to himself, and then God steps in and smashes it, you know? But what does all this have to say to us? Depression? Sadness? No, rejoice. Rejoice because the world system is rapidly passing away. It's becoming more and more evil. There was a time when I thought corporations were with us. We're a team. We support them, and they are good Americans, and they, you know. More and more I'm seeing corporations are nothing but evil institutions. I'm not all of them. There's some... Christian-run businesses. But my goodness, are they showing their true colors? I'm talking about some of these mega corporations, you know, and uh, what they stand for and what they pour money into. And, oh, my goodness, I, you, I don't even have to go there. You, you know what I'm talking about. But someday, what we're reading here is that the world system is going to pass away. And the imagery God uses, we'll see it in a second, is that of a great stone that is thrown into the ocean. And, and sinks to the bottom of the sea and is never seen again. In fact, turn to Jeremiah 51 quickly. This is uh, in line with something God prophesied uh, through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 51, verse 61. He said to Sariah, when you get to Babylon, read aloud everything on this scroll. So this guy was supposed to go and God gave Jeremiah what to write down, and he was sent, sent this messenger to bring this scroll to the uh, uh, to, to Babylon uh, to read aloud uh, what was on the scroll, verse 62. Then say, Lord, uh, after he reads this uh, aloud, everything on this scroll, then say, oh, then say, Lord, 
you have said that you will destroy Babylon so that neither people nor animals will, will remain there. She will lie empty and abandoned forever. When you have finished reading the scroll, tie it to a stone and throw it into the Euphrates River. Then say in this, in this same way, Babylon and her people will sink never to rise again because of the disasters I will bring upon her. This is the end of Jeremiah's messages. Now listen, something I still haven't gotten my mind quite wrapped around, okay? There will be, of course, many Christians alive during the tribulation period. They're going to get saved during the tribulation period. The true church is out of here before the Antichrist rises to power. I'm convinced of that. We're raptured, okay? And, get, and the Holy Spirit gets to work at saving a new bunch of people we, we call the tribulation saints, right? I've always been under the impression this is my, you know, sometimes we assume things. And we have to be careful because sometimes our assumptions, although they might be logical, are not true. Let me tell you what I have thought for many, many years, probably ever since I understood what Revelation was talking about. I have believed for many years that during the tribulation period, you're going to have two groups of people. Uber unbelievers and uber Christians. No lukewarm, no wishy-washy. You're either going to be for the Lord or you're against the Lord. No middle ground. That's what I've always believed. Revelation 18 has changed my thinking. Because in verses 4 and 5, God tells his people, Come out of her, lest you share in her evil deeds, and lest you are wiped out in her judgment. It, it tells me that during this coming period of time, you are still going to have your lukewarm people. I can't wrap my mind around it. It's not going to be a time for lukewarmness. I mean, it, it, and I've always thought, you know, you're going to have your rabid unbelievers and your totally on fire Christians who are willing to die for their faith. No wishy-washy, no pew warmers, you know. But apparently, you're going to have people who are going to be saved, but not completely given over to Christ. They're still loving the world, you know? And, uh, and, and, I, and the only people that are going to be affected, saved people, that are, are going to be affected by the harm that is caused when Babylon is finally destroyed, listen, are those that have invested themselves into the mentality of commercial Babylon's materialism and worldliness, and worldliness. Um, I'll let you wrestle with that. I still can't get my mind around it. And may, maybe I'm wrong again. Maybe that it's just the, the way I, I always have believed. I don't know. But the languages here come out from among her, my people. The judgment's coming. I'm, I'm getting ready to wipe out commercial Babylon. And God has to plead to his people, move away? It's like Lot and his family, right? God had to pry them away from, uh, from Sodom. And, and even then... Only Lot and his two daughters and Lot's wife made it out. The son-in-laws, they stayed and were wiped out. The wife turned back and was made a pillar of salt. And um, only Lot and his two daughters. And that was a mess, as you read the story. Okay, um, But I guess you're going to have a lot of people like that coming in the, in the tribulation period. They're saved. But for whatever reason, they still have a strong... Uh, affinity for the world. Amazing. 
But listen, we can look forward and say, oh, man, those people are really, wow, you know. They're really going to be terrible Christians in the tribulation period. No, not all of them. Many will be on fire. But listen, before we point a finger, the old saying goes, and you point a finger at somebody, how many of you got pointing back at you, right? Make no mistake about it, the spirit of Babylon has captured many of God's people even today. Even today. I mean, there's a lot of Christians who are more carnally minded than they should be. Shouldn't be carnally minded at all. But there's a lot of Christians who um, don't love Jesus like they should. They want Jesus, but they want the world too. Kind of like Solomon, right? Um, anyway, Warren Worsby said this. He said, certainly the city of Rome was the center for world trade and government in John's day, and it was known for its extravagance and luxury. Politically and economically, the people in the empire were dependent on Rome. Today, with complex connections that exist between governments and businesses and with the interrelated computer systems, it would not take long for Babylon, quote-unquote, to collapse and the world's economic system to be destroyed, end quote. Well, it's coming. It's coming. As we contemplate the destruction of Babylon, we think of other great cities and civilizations in the past which have fallen for the same reasons that she will fall in the future. And one of those that is about to fall is America. Is America. I know we're all praying for revival. And I sure hope one comes. But it could be that this is the end for America. She is sure sick in her soul. She has sold herself to wickedness. as we contemplate the past civilizations that have fallen and what led to their fall and what is coming to it in this commercial system called Babylon and what is going to lead up to her fall. We can't help, I mean, if you have any sense of self-awareness, we cannot help but understand that America fits into that whole thing. We are watching our country slowly being destroyed. One of the most widely read books of all time is the, is the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, written by Edward Gibbon in 1788. One author, in talking about Gibbon's work, said, and he's, he's summarizing it. One author said, he, in it, he gives five basic reasons why the great civilizations, why, why that great civilization, Rome, withered and died, and again, compared to America. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis for human society. So the undermining of the family, I think killing your own children is undermining the family. Okay? Safe, legal, and rare. That was what abortion proponents said in the 90s. Well, abortion should be safe, legal, but rare. Today, it's a virtue. If you are of the religion of the left, it's a sacrament to kill your children. Sick. Number two, higher and higher taxes. The spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Keep people 
all kinds of free goodies. Just keep them placated. Number three, this is what all led to the fall of the Roman Empire. I'm, I'm looking at this going, oh my goodness, it's America. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure. Well, we don't see that in our culture, really. The mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more, more exciting, more brutal, more immoral, among other things. Number four, the building of great armaments when the real enemies, enemy was within. The decay of individual responsibility and morality. You can have the greatest weaponry a nation can, uh, can have. But if people are rotting from within, morally, and so on, all those weapons are not going to matter. It was said of the Roman Empire when it finally fell, it wasn't conquered from without by the Huns, it rotted from within and collapsed in on itself. Number five, the decay of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life, losing power to guide the people. The author ends the oft heard warning that history repeats itself has an ominous meaning in the light of the above, end quote. All right, guys, well, we're done. The, uh, we know the world is terminal. I mean, God may bring revival like Nineveh, uh, 40 days and they were done. They repented. Uh, Nineveh, by the way, was the capital of Assyria. And by the way, do you know what modern-day Nineveh is? What place occupies, what city is actually ancient Nineveh? Mosul. Mosul. But they repented and got another 100 years before they corrupted again and God wiped them out. So God may be merciful and give America and the world a little more time. But the world, make no mistake about it, we're reading about it in Revelation, the world is terminal, and the uh, important question facing each of us tonight is, and people watching online as well, are we citizens of this fallen world and its capital, Babylon? Or are we citizens of heaven and its capital, New Jerusalem? The question we should ask ourselves and anyone else we love, can you rejoice because your name is written in heaven? Uh, I don't know. How do I know if my name's written in heaven? It isn't. Because if you don't know it, it ain't up there. But we can fix that. You can fix it by getting on your knees right today, confessing your sins, and saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I don't want to be a citizen of this world anymore. I want to be a citizen of heaven. I may live in this world for a while longer, but my loyalties belong to you. You're my God. Your kingdom is the one I'm looking forward to. I guess we got to tell people, get out of Babylon and do it quick. Babylon, of course, represents the family of fallen man. And get into the family of God so as to escape the wrath of God before it's too late. Um, I've got three scriptures that I'm not going to have time to read. I'll give you the references. I'll pick one. Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. And Luke 12, verses 15 to 21. Um, let's read the Hebrews one and we'll close. Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
He's inviting you to come. Come to him to be saved. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet one more, uh, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. What is the writer saying? He's saying basically this. If you lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, at one point God's going to shake this world until it's destroyed. And if you've invested your whole life in the material, you're going to be a complete loser. If you've invested your life in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, shaken, a heavenly kingdom, spiritual kingdom, and you have sent your treasures on up ahead by serving Jesus on the earth and sending your treasures up uh, into heaven where they'll be waiting for you when you get there, when God shakes this world to destruction, you will lose nothing because you will not have treasures on the earth. You will have treasures waiting for you in heaven. It sounds like a simple choice and yet people make the wrong one every day how tragic even as jesus said what would it gain a person if they somehow were able to get you what would it profit a person if they were somehow able to gain the whole world but lost their own soul what would a person give in exchange for their soul what on earth is worth exchanging your eternal soul for but people do it every single day just like Esau sold his birthright for what? A bowl of porridge? That's what we're talking about. Anyways, next week, God willing, we will begin to wrap things up. And uh, what a joy to come out of the darkness of these uh, chapters we've been studying Revelation into the light of Jesus' return. So, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have worked in our hearts, opened our eyes, and draw, have drawn each one of us into your arms. Give us grace, Lord, to finish our race strong, to not waver, to not uh, give up, to not become worldly like Demas, who forsook you having loved this present world. We don't want to be a Demas. We want to be those who are faithful to the end, who run our race in such a way as we run all the way into your arms in glory and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.